Welcome to Gender Nebulous, episode eight, season two. And this week we've got the amazing Eli Ehrlich, who is a trans activist, who's been is a political uh, philosopher, a social and um, concentrates on social movements and transgender communities. And I've been uh, following Eli for gosh, nearly two years now because I first heard about her when she was criticising Matt Walsh and his duplicity in trying to trick trans people actually into working with him for a documentary. So welcome, Eli. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Hey, thanks for having me. So yeah, yeah welcome, me- welcome on the show. Um, it's really nice to have you on. So tell us a bit more, a bit more about your background and how you got got into political activism. Because I know you've been at it for quite some time now. So when was it you sort of first realised that this is what you want to do? You know. Oh wow. Well, I opened up about my identity when I was eight and grew up in a really rural community. So yeah. it's it's been since a young age. I've been really involved for the past thirteen years, and we are genuinely seeing nothing like we've seen before. I mean, the ways that trans people, especially trans youth, are being treated is really horrific. But my own activism goes back to probably around 2003 when I first started advocating for myself and um, just trying to get the basic minimal respect. Mm. So, I mean, I've noticed in America, especially because I follow quite a few American journalists and American politicians. And I know it has been so, I don't know if it's because we're coming up to an election cycle, we've had all that crap with Trump. And there seems to be this void of sensible voices. It seems like there's, there's a void of proper discourse and, and real conversation that in the media, the media is very polarized. And the left, as what we what I would call the old left of maybe what would be Bernie Sanders, seems to have been suppressed would you sort of agree with that because when I look at American politics now I feel like it's just pure entertainment for a lot you know a lot of people absolutely it's I mean it's really unfortunate that we can't have a frank discussion we can't um talk amongst ourselves and what we're hearing right now is an overwhelmingly right-wing media cycle but sometimes tampered out a little bit by like liberals and centrists and we we need more and we need to do better and like you said earlier also it is an election cycle and this is now bleeding out into um into south america and europe and I think there's a lot to look forward to when the 2024 election is over because we we're probably going to see fewer attacks on trans people. Mm. But at the same time, there's no way to tell where that's going. I mean, yeah. if I mean, if we do have a conservative um, majority, it could get much worse too. Well, yeah, me and Vicky have spoken about this quite a few tra- times on the podcast because it was uh, Ronda Sanchez, is it? And we were jokingly calling him Ronda Sanchez. Uh, we because we, we, well, we nicknamed saw, him Ronda Ronda de Santos. Ronda. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I mean it's funny and to mock him, but actually it's really serious stuff. This what is happening because I find that it's quite easy to frighten people. It's very easy to frighten people who are insecure, especially coming out of a pandemic and a lot of the financial crises that we've seen. And people are generally scared. 
And it's the same in the UK when you've got a population that is very insecure about its identity overall. This is, I'm not just talking about trans issue. I mean, identity as a as a country, as who we are as people in can step what I would actually go as far as to say are purely fascist ideas. And we I've seen this in the UK as well. So when I've seen activists get on TV, I've been on TV a couple of times and the backlash is enormous. I only have to say uh, maybe self-ID would be a good idea because, you know, younger people might feel validated better by that. And, oh, my God, it's like a tsunami coming for me the day after. So, I mean, I suppose the question is, like, do you think that this this will subside? And is the it like if it is a tsunami, is that is the is are the seas going to calm, you know, for us? So I also study trans history and this will subside. Um, every fascist movement does, every moral panic does, and usually it goes away pretty fast too. They'll move on to some other topic and people realize that, wow, we were being really messed up to X, Y, or Z group. I mean, during the um, 70s and 80s in the US was like Anita Bryant who um, really had one of the strongest national campaigns against um, against queer people. And that's tied within two years. We remember it very distinctly um, all around the world, but it was actually pretty short-lived. And so hopefully within the next um, one to two years, we'll see some of this subsiding. Now, at the same time as a lot of activists like to say visibility is a trap and we have... I mean, we've been more visible in these last couple of years than at any other point in history. So there's also some concern there. I mean, when we look at, you know, all the all the cases that have been, you know, in the in the States over the past couple of years, all, all the kind of things they're trying to do against trans people, um, you know, a lot of that is kind of getting exported over here to the UK. Um, you know, I think I think we all realize that it, most of it is related to Trump and you know the um the Republican Party in those states. But I'm I'm just wondering, um, you know, I know you're originally from California, you currently live in New York, but do you do you find in your kind of daily interactions with people that there's a lot of you know fear amongst the trans community within those states where these laws are being introduced? Absolutely. I know several people who have fled the states. Um, I know some people who have actually fled the country at this yeah. point, and it's unfortunately, on one hand, a little bit overhyped um, because there's, of course, extra reporting when there's specific attacks on people. These attacks are increasing on one hand, but on the other hand, they're still not very common. Um, but there should be none of them. Nobody should be attacked for being trans. Um, but this... Um, this aura of fear is very real, and I think that has the broadest impact on the trans community. Um, politicians don't want to support us. Um, I mean, um, labor has now ditched trans people, and Democrats are also leaving us behind. So yeah. we are in a very difficult position that is um, it's going to be pretty great for the next couple of years. I mean, we've seen a lot of stories of people leaving states, moving to move, moving to states like California or some of the safer states. Yeah, um, you know, especially around laws affecting youth. You know, the re the removal of uh, you know healthcare for trans youth. I mean, it, it's quite disturbing to see that. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I think something else I want to add is that um, there are no safe states. Um, I mean, in New York, like I've been attacked on the street before. I've been harassed. I've been doxxed here. I've had people threaten my life um, pretty much on a daily basis at this point. Um, And I'm in New York City, which is probably the safest place to be in the U.S. now. Um, And also, when I grew up in rural California, it's very different there. People think of it as um, San Francisco or L.A., which are fairly safe. Um, But geographically, most of it is a rural state. And I mean, the horrible physical um, abuse that I experienced there really um, speaks volumes to how separated and segregated the U.S. is. Yeah, so you you were very young when you started transition, I think you realized around the age of eight and that is when you were about 13 when you, you know, did something publicly about it living in California. Did you, do you get a lot of abuse when you were at school? Was there a lot of bullying and stuff going on? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like to joke. I had people lining up to pick me in the crotch because they wanted to um, check what sort of genitals I have. Um, and the teachers also um, kind of joined in sometimes. So I would say it's, It was quite bad. And I'm still one of the lucky ones where, um, I mean, I didn't get shot or stabbed. So it definitely could have been worse. Right. That's something that's really interesting to me. Like, obviously, we I think we can all relate to being bullied at school. When I was I was a very feminine boy. You know, I was I just, you know, I was just how I was. In my head, I was a girl. So and uh, and boys, other boys would say, oh, you're such a woman. You're such a little girl like sissy or whatever and as soon as I got old enough to say actually yeah I am a woman they were saying you're a man it was exact same people (laughs) they were saying no no you're not a girl anymore because we can't we can't weaponize that against you anymore the thing we want to weaponize is the fact that now we want to call you a man but it's the exact same people you know what I mean it's like so so it's like this is the I think I have with trans you know when people talk about you know when people say oh I've got genuine concerns about trans children no you don't because at what age do they stop being children you know you don't decide that okay we can all say we've got to have safeguarding in medical practice but that's not the thing they're looking at is it they're looking at the trans issue and I always say when people are looking at the trans issue they're looking the wrong way because that's what that's how abuse happens so if you're looking if you're looking at trans people, you're ignoring abuse. That's what I would say to them people. Anyway, that was a bit of a, a rant there. Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's so, true. But let, let's talk about um the trans student educational resources. It's uh, something that you set up when you I think you were about 16 at the time. Was this yeah. was, was this why you we were still in, in California at school there? Yeah, yeah. I was um a junior in high school and had spent um, about a year setting up the website, getting organized, um, and having other trans youth join. And to this day, it's still the only national organization led by trans youth. So what, I mean, what sort of things, you know, was it, were you doing with that organization? Um, we were doing everything from um, leadership development for other trans youth, media work, we released some model policies. Um, we also did fun graphics like the gender unicorn. I'm not sure how much post you do on this, but you could, um, if you if you put it up here, you can um, see the like sex gender, sex assigned yeah. at birth. The st- oh yes, I think I've seen that on your Twitter because mm-hmm. you've, you've posted, you retweeted quite a few things. I think with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, about how we're, um, I, I think they said we were indoctrinating and grooming youth by teaching them that gender isn't sexuality, God forbid. Yeah. 
What's interesting about some of the people that I see arguing on, especially on Twitter, I know Twitter will come up quite a lot in this conversation because um, <laughs> it is, it's like there seems to be this weird split now. And I, I, I don't know if it's a split within real queer communities or real gay, lesbian, bisexual communities, but there's this gays against groomers. There's this idea that LGB without the T and it's like, what are they actually distancing themselves from? And I think what, what they think they're just, conservatives aren't they and they look at drag queens they look at people who are gender non-conforming and they look at people that don't that are incongruent to them and they say i don't want anything to do with that but i'm gay and i want to and i just want to be gay and i said well nobody's nobody's ever stopped you <laughs> so <laughs> yeah but, but they, uh, is it true that those people have always existed because i was reading a little bit of history about stonewall riots and even then back then there was like uh, gay conservatives who tried to claim that movement and tried to rewrite the history of Marsha P and, you know, like the, the New York City drag queens at the time that were all part of, came out of the Andy Warhol kind of culture. And I, yeah. to, me, to me, they got attacked because they were visible. It wasn't yeah, because they were trans. Because a lot of them may not have gone on to identify as trans. They might have been just what you would call street queens or yeah. street urchins because they lived on the streets, basically. And it wasn't the fact that they were gay, bi or trans that they were getting attacked. It's because the police were brutal and they would attack them because they would break into their safe spaces. And I think this brings us on to Marsha P. Johnson a little bit because she was already being attacked for being black. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. The culture in New York City at the time would have been hostile to, I mean, the police are still, you know, brutal. Oh, I- Absolutely. I have many friends who've been attacked for for various reasons by them. I mean, the NYPD is mm-hmm. largest yeah, so, off force in the city. Yeah. So I think what I was getting to is, like, do, do, do you think this kind of split where people say, right, it's LGB without the T, I've seen that. And then there are trans people. I've seen there are trans women like Blair White who are a Republican. And to me, it's in, that is incongruent. I was like, well, how can you be trans and understand the history of trans oppression and then turn around and destroy? You could be a, such a good, you should, could be such a good voice, but choose it. To, to... So if you got, I just wanted to know what your thoughts were, but I know that was a long meandering question. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, of course. No worries. Um, So this is um why one of my forthcoming books is on, um, it should be out in 2025 through University of Chicago Press. And it is on, um, uh, trans members of far right groups and really understanding why they join these groups, what they're thinking and um, how they came about to be. So to answer your first question there, yes, trans people belong to the far right or this sort of exclusionary sentiment um, of like gay versus trans that's always existed. Um, it's like been Book, a- Angel. Book Angel is part of that, isn't he? Oh, yep, absolutely. He's um, He loves to harass me, so I would say so. So it's it's complicated. It's very complicated. Um, another forthcoming book that I'm working on that'll be based on my dissertation um, also follows this is um, part of respectability politics and how um, certain more respectable groups try to distance themselves from um, what they called street queens at the time. I mean, Madison Society, which was the largest um, think they called themselves a gay or homophile rights organization at the time. Um, They distanced themselves from Stonewall. They said this was street queens. This didn't have anything to do with us. 
And they actually had their members go to the Stonewall Inn during the riots and write, we just, we want peace, please respect the neighborhood, don't riot, don't loot. Um, and this is, this has been around for a while. <laughs> yeah, I think it reflects in the black communities as well, because, you know, obviously when there is tensions, you're going to get riots, you're going to get, and then they, those people get blamed and you'll see like black conservatives trying to control the narrative and say, we need to be more respectful. And these are, these are not our people. It's like, yes, they are. They are exactly. Your, you've just decided to throw them under the bus. <laughs> so that's how it looks, you know, to me. So. That's exactly what they did. And, and any and any any minority of people, I think you're going to get people that break away from that and get some. When they get power, they never want to leave go of it because I think if you, I mean, it could be generational. Like say, if your parents came to a country and you saw them getting kicked and beaten, and then you're the generation that has. Oh, my, actually, I got some power now. I don't. I, I actually I know how to get the power, and getting the power is getting into the Republican Party. You might <laughs> want to not be associated with your past quite so much and i think that's a controlling element of inside the trans community as well because obviously somebody like caitlin jenner while she can be perfectly respected and yes she's trans she's she's a woman but she does not represent anything about the struggle for for uh civil rights and it's really disappointing <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And mm -hmm. I think it goes to show that ultimately, like these economic lines structure our lives in such a way that um, we'll abandon our own communities for economic status, or at least that's what capitalism trains us to do. Well, interestingly, nobody likes uh, Caitlyn Jenner, no matter what side of the... I don't, I've noticed that nobody actually wants to own her as, a, as an ally, so... I think she's she's put she's she's in her own little bubble of hate somewhere. I don't know, but uh, so yeah. you know, just just talking about that Stonewall um, and Marsha Johnson, uh, that you know, there was the the, uh, the a love letter to Marsha that you were involved with, the sculpture. Could you just talk us, um, you know, through that and how that came about? Oh yeah, absolutely. So. A little summary of it, about three years ago, I thought it would be fun to um, do a guerrilla art project that um, erected a bust of Marsha P. Johnson and Christopher Park Stonewall. And um, so we talked about it with my friend Jesse and um, Jesse Pilata this, is this amazing artist, incredible sculptor. And they made a, um, a bronze bust for Marsha. We got a group of about five um, trans people together and um, poured concrete into a um, a pedestal and put the bust up so it couldn't be removed. Um, we actually thought we might have a little trouble for it and ended up that the you city. Didn't, you, didn't get, you didn't get authority permit local. So there was no permission permission. to do it at the time, was no. it? And for a little more context, New York City has been promising to make a statue yeah. of Marsha Johnson for decades now. They've really? never done it. They um, actually invested $10 million into a um, statue program for women. Like, guess how many statues they ended up making? None. <laughs> so where, where is it located? I mean, is it is it outside where the Stonewall Inn is? Is it, is it right there? So it stayed, so Christopher Park is, it stayed there for a few months and it went to the LGBT Center um, here in Manhattan. And now it's being restored by Jesse. Yeah, so okay. it looks amazing I've, I've seen a photograph of it with the flowers around 
Yeah, it's really it's, cute. Because there's a really famous photo, isn't there, of Marcia? Um, yeah, well, she actually um, sometimes sold flowers at the um, Chelsea Piers and in the West Village. So she's always, she's wearing flowers in a lot of her photos. See, I, I read about Marcia when I was quite young because I I was into punk music and I was into that kind of, and, and I read about somebody called Jane County. And I'm not sure if you're aware of Jane County, but she was part of the Warhol scene. And she lived with Holly Woodlawn. She lived with Jackie Curtis. They all seemed to live in the same squat together at one point. And uh, that was how I heard about all these people. So Jane County's book, which was called Man Enough to Be a Woman, was it was like a sort of education for me because everyone that is kind of key to the, you know, the beginning of gay liberation, in, especially in New York, was in that book now like you know it's just I mean I, if you haven't read it I definitely recommend it because it's really and it's quite bitchy as well it's quite uh it's one of those kind of tell-all kind of stories about oh. Andy Warhol and his uh, uh acolytes so yeah <laughs> yeah it's really fun read and um so so yeah with the with the Stonewall because because we are, obviously we we the, the Stonewall history is is up for you know people like to rewrite history sometimes and i've seen people trying to rewrite marcia out of that history and uh, we know that she died in mysterious is it mysterious? i don't know if it was ever resolved the reason she and we know she was murdered or it wasn't um new york police department actually is not declared a murder even though it very obviously was mm. um it's it's unfortunate they refuse to investigate any further they kind of brushed it off because she was a sex worker and um they considered sex worker uh, murders just something they could ignore um and even after mass petitions they still refused to that being said they barely solve any murders anyway so it probably mm. wouldn't have done much if they investigated mm. but it's still a new york mystery isn't it and um it was a there was actually an interesting um documentary i watched on netflix around all that you know the story of, of how how all that happened um don't recall the, the name of it but it was sorry uh the death and life of marcia p johnson yeah yeah it was yeah really interesting um yeah so the go on vicky we could ask something that i was gonna butt in then like i normally do <laughs> no i was just i was you know you you must have been really young when you were, you know, writing for Teen Vogue. Um, you know, you've won some awards. They they named you as a uh, new face of feminism. Um, Glamour magazine named you College Woman of the Year. I think that was probably around 20, 2016, 2017 timeframe. Um, yeah. Do you still do you still write for Vogue? Um, no, I haven't in a couple of years. I'm really focused on um, a few other books that I'm getting out. That's right. Great. So, you, I mean, you must, you've, you've seen, you've won quite a few awards. I mean, I'm not going to list them all, but, you know, for someone who's, who's, you know, he's compared to me and Frida, you know, you, you're quite young. You, you have achieved a lot. Speak for yourself, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> I'm young. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually 35, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, lie about like, I lie about there, there's age. like there, there's cis young and then there's trans young and those yeah, are two yeah. entirely different yeah. things yeah that's true so, i feel like i'm breaking my hip so you you you've you've got a very old mind you've got you're very mature I, I, mind. I, I, 
that I'm a um, 65-year-old trapped in a yeah, yeah. body. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I, I feel that when I read your work, I feel like I'm reading the work of somebody. I I wouldn't believe you because I, I mean, maybe it's discriminatory of me to think that younger people aren't intelligent. But when I read your work, I assumed it was somebody much older. Yeah. Well, thank you, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> there, are, there are a ton of young people really stepping yeah. up these days. And yeah. um, I, I feel very fortunate to have worked with so many amazing trans youth. I mean, unfortunately, for the kids that are coming out really young, they have to grow up pretty fast. Well, what I noticed, like when I work with the, I work with the LGBT Foundation in Manchester. And when I go there and the younger people, like in 1920, they have this confidence that I wish I had had when I was that age. Because I don't know if it's a generational thing, but they, they have, um, they want to get stuff done. They want to do this. They'll, they'll organize things. And, and I think because of how I was when I was that age, I was quite shy and I felt a bit, I was very scared of speaking out of turn. I think it was just perhaps because of, you know, the way I was uh, coming out of school because I had a pretty rough time. But what I, I sometimes think, oh gosh, I wish I could go back with the knowledge I have now and to my 20s. I, I sometimes think that because if I had, I would have done a lot of things differently, you know. I think I spent a lot of my 20s just partying and wasting my time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Vicky. I think we've but... all done that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Let's talk about the um the gender unity project. So this this was something that you I think you uncovered um and you discovered that um oh, Matt no. Walsh had created this kind of front organization to produce the the film that was put out, What is a Woman? Um can you talk about you know how you got in how did you how did you find that i mean how did you how did you discover that piece of valuable information um i i would say it's partially because i'm obnoxious and pedantic and partially <laughs> because uh, you can't really trust anyone who emails you at least i don't so long story short a little over a year ago i was recruited to be in what is a woman but the recruitment the documentation everything was um, marked by third parties in this front organization called the Gender Unity Project. Mm-hmm. They reached out saying they were doing this um, benign, friendly, trans documentary. And um, I I was skeptical at first, but they really um, tried to put me on there. Mm-hmm. And so they were... Um, I'm trying to remember her name, McKenna Waters, um, was the person who reached out. And um, we eventually got to talking on the phone. They were going to fly me to, um, I, I want to say, Chicago at first. And then it was going to be Arizona. And then they settled on Tennessee because people kept on canceling on them for their appointments. And they said they were talking to a couple surgeons who sounds like didn't figure out what the actual situation was, um, but might have been skeptical enough to drop out. Um, when I was on the phone with McKenna, she mentioned she went to CSU Northridge and she, um, this, I mean, this was really one of her big mistakes because, um, she was using a false last name. And so I was able to locate her, um, full title on, um, CSU Northridge's website for her master's thesis and then, um, realized that oh, she works with fucking Matt Walsh. Yeah, she's and she's a producer. <laughs> and then I, um, just to confirm, looked at the, um, they sent me over a 
um, like a reliefs form. It was assigned to, I want to say like moon astronaut or some like ridiculous organization like that. Looked it up, couldn't find the person's name that was associated with it. But I checked Colorado State Records again and um, found that it was a PragerU videographer who was shooting it. Um, if you're not familiar with PragerU, it's a far right um education educational quote unquote well, i know about uh, them now because i i actually followed your tweets about it yeah so, so that so, must so have set like, the alarm bells ringing i mean i watched yeah. the film obviously Seriously. when you watch when you watch the film because it's got miriam what's she called miriam grossman that's her yeah and she and they have is it deborah soul and yeah so these are all people that are part of the daily wire thing anyway i think they've got jordan peterson in there so 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 all it is really it's basically an argument against trans people and Matt Walsh is leading it and and it's he's, obviously we know who Matt Walsh is so it wasn't ever going to be um it was always going to be biased but the thing is it's really shit it's if, even bad for something they would do because anybody with any sort of thinking you know if, if you're if you're reviewing it i think because i thought oh gosh this is going to be bad because some of the turfs in the uk might but the, the turfs in the uk hated it because it's totally misogynistic in a way that that exposes their misogyny because matt walsh can't help himself it's like it's like the funniest thing is the end of the film. Well, I think it's his wife. He's in a room with her, and he says, "Okay," and she's like, "Can you open this jar for me?" Now, I think I think that's the funniest thing in the whole film. Do you know what I mean? But it doesn't make it. it it's a joke at the woman's expense. He does a film that which and the 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 punchline of the film is to insult his wife. You know what I mean? It's like they're not going to buy that. So. I know. I, I feel kind of bad for her sometimes. She's she's also harassed me, but there's yeah. no way Matt Walsh is treating her decently. I refuse yeah. to believe that. But, well, you know, it's like uh, a lot of these right-wing guys, they always get found out in the end, don't they? So do, do we know how many people that, you know, they tried to dupe into going into that? Um, so, okay. um, when I talked to McKenna before I realized who she was, she claimed that um, there were upwards of 50 other people. Wow. It, we don't actually know the numbers. They refused to release yeah. them. And I got confirmation from, I would say, about a half dozen different people who thought they tried to recruit. So did anybody actually end up being in the thing and not, not realizing what it was and then, you know, obviously regretting it and trying to do something about it afterwards? Yeah, I mean, Bowers, who's the most well-known um, surgeon probably in the world for trans people, oh. And um, there was another um, trans woman, Nayo Kami, who um, didn't seem to realize that um, Matt Walsh is Matt Walsh. <laughs> yeah. Is that the one that said she identified as a wolf? Yes, that's <laughs> the one. And that we, we know why she's on there. So when I when I reviewed that, I said, yeah, whatever you want, love, bark at the moon, whatever whatever you want to do. But, you know. Yeah. And she's like, I, it's not hurting anyone. Who cares? Exactly. Because the thing is, I've been in... I've been asked to do things by certain media people in the UK. And I have there, there are trans people that say to me, oh, don't do that. Don't do this. And I say, you know what? I'm going to do it because I know exactly what the setup is. I don't mind doing it if I if I know it's not. If they say who they are, that's fine. Like I've been on GB News, which is a very right wing station in the UK. It's basically like the Daily Mail, but on television. But I like going into those hostile spaces because I... 
think that I, I, I can I can stand up to those people because I'm not fighting ideologically. I'm only asking why you asking this question now. Like, why do you care about women's sports now? You never did two years ago. You weren't interested in fairness in women's sports two years ago. So why are you now? That's my attitude with all that. And it's the same thing with any like the arguments about single sex spaces. It, it never seemed to be about protecting women. It always seems to be about weaponizing an argument to harm a minority. And I can easily, and Vicky, you know, you see me do that. Like when I've basically said to the person, do you know how many women have been raped in this country in the last 12 months? And they never know. They don't know the answer to those kind of questions. They'll say, do you know how many trans women there are in sport? They never know the answer. Do you know how many trans women are in swimming? No. And that's also why are you bothered. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, and we know we know why, don't we? I mean, well, the, what's she called? The swimmer that is always the blonde lady. I've forgotten her name now. Sharon. Um, Riley Gaines. That's it, Riley Gaines. Now okay, she sorry. is a very. We have a very similar one in the UK. Um, oh, what's she called now? Sharon Davis. Now her story is almost identical. To, it's almost <laughs> like it's been written for her. And it has. It very well might have. Yeah. And and the story is that trans people are taking over sport because it's like an invasion narrative, isn't it? It's like that's mm -hmm. the, that's what frightens people. So it's like a an invasion narrative, this frightening thing that's changing everything. And it's like, well, not really, because when you it's look at on great replacement theory. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same thing. because so, I've looked at the way you know, immigrants have talked about, and it's exactly the same. Like, oh, they're coming over and they're going to get in your schools and they start going to indoctrinate your children. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same logic. And we, we hear this about almost every oppressed community. Um, it's it's very frustrating that people don't see this, especially the, the people who are claiming to be feminists. I mean, yeah, and we have this, it just requires basic critical thinking skills. <laughs> And we have a few media people in the UK that are quite high profile that have spoken in favour of trans inclusion. And the, and when, I, when I've spoken to them personally on Twitter, because I, I if somebody does stick the neck out, I make a point of saying, you know what, thanks for doing that. And when I and it's, oh, yeah, I've got a trans friend. And that is the that is the thing that stopped them, the thing that stopped them from falling for these tropes, falling for these right wing psyops. Is because they've got a trans friend and they've written, well, my friend isn't a threat to anyone and my friend isn't trying to harm anyone. And I might, and I've got a friend, I've got, you know, a friend who's got a young daughter who's trans and it's as simple as that really. So when you humanize it, when you, when we are human to them, I think that's more frightening because if, if um, that's why they're trying to oppress, try to control the media, because when there is a famous trans person that, you know, people just like because they're a nice person like Dylan Mulvaney, who, you know, is just a bit of a, a bit of a fun thing. And the, the kids like her. That is more threatening than anything political because Dylan Mulvaney can be loved. And it's not about being trans. It's just the fact that they happen to be funny and entertaining. So, you know, because because obviously this is not to... Uh, do down any academic work obviously that's absolutely vital but it isn't the it's not always the academic work that the public see so that's why I think it's really important that people are encouraged to go into the media even if they're just doing something like a singer on a in a band or if, if they're if they're doing something like 
you know, creative. It doesn't have to be academic as long as there's a trans person that is normalizing the idea of being trans. That, and I think that's how we change things. And to an extent, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of writers have um, spoken a lot against um, normalization because I, I do think that transness should open up more conversations about economics, about sexism, etc., and maybe change society as a whole. Yeah, um, which I'm sure will be quoted on later as in like some Daily Mail article. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I I make I I get called out quite a lot by trans women or because because I'm I I talk quite fast and I say and if I'm on the spot with somebody in an interview, I might miss I might say something that excludes somebody or and they'll say oh you didn't say that right but what I always say is you know what every interview is a learning experience and I listen to what people say I'll never say to someone how dare you correct me because actually. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That is that is not going to, oh, you know. And I hate and I, and I and but but there are people who are very very frightened, especially in the trans community, that are so angry and so. I mean, it's it's like you can you can almost it's almost palpable the the you know when when um, there's like a, a Twitter spat and it's like oh my god this is so much energy wasted you know and it's like yeah. and I feel We're like. Just- each other yeah yeah because we fight within ourselves amongst ourselves and you know but we've got the the common goal really is acceptance and just normalization of you know so it shouldn't really be an issue but it is an issue because people want it want want to use it politically i think i think the trans issue is the issue of our time well yeah i mean i look forward to the day when we don't have to talk about these issues you know yeah (laughs) Because but I mean, they are normalised and they are accepted by people. No, no, and we do I, just I, live our lives normally. I mean, that's what that's why I, I look would, forward to. I would disagree with that a little bit because I like to talk about what philosophically, from a, from an, a, that point of view, what it means to be male and female. I love to talk about that. I'm not telling anybody how to be female or how to be male, but I I want to feel as though I can have that conversation without being shut down. <laughs> Without mm-hmm. somebody coming up and saying, "Hang on a minute, you can't say that in front of my child," I said, "Well, if, if your child is that easily to influence, you know, there's like children are children are very intelligent, and if you think you if you think your child can't understand the difference between, you know, what is a, a philosophical argument and what is a political argument, perhaps you know that's a conversation you need to have with your own child." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this issue of. Yeah, sure, you know, Frida. Stop going U- home. U.S. states, which are, you know, they're trying to criminalize the, um, you know, the prescription hormone prescriptions. Um, so I think, uh, Eli, you 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 came up with a plan around distributing unused prescriptions. Oh yeah, my dastardly scheme. Your dastardly oh, scheme. Could you tell us more about your dastardly scheme? Because <laughs> I, you know, I have I've thought about this myself. You know, because I, it, you know, in my stash of prescriptions that I've not used, because you know your prescription changes sometimes, and you may have some left over or whatever. You know, I've thought about well, maybe yeah, well, maybe we could distribute that to other trans people who maybe who maybe can't get hold of something because of supply chain issues, and you know, we've 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 suffered a lot of that in the UK recently with with gain hormones, you know, prescriptions, because there's been all kinds of supply issues. So if I, if I was to give some of mine to let's to say Frida, because I've got more than, you know, Frida, Frida needs some, and we both, we both have a prescription anyway, surely that's okay. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, what was your, what was your, what was your plan? 
Um, so, I mean, there's a few different aspects to it. Um, long story short, some states are banning um, hormones, not just for youth too, but also for adults, mm-hmm. or they're making it incredibly expensive by removing access to um, uh, to them through insurance or Medicare. And so when it's impossible to get hormones, um, I would just connect people with extra with people who um, who needed them. Pretty simple. And the right wing threw an entire fit about it. Well, they, they, was, <laughs> they was trying to paint you as some sort of evil doctor, weren't they, at one point? like uh... Yeah. <laughs> so once again, this was Matt Walsh and Tucker Carlson that were attacking you over this. Yeah, yeah. And um, Chaya Rachik, Lips of Tech Talk, um, they were all just yeah. really, really on it because apparently um, letting people have self-determination over their own bodies is the worst possible thing they can imagine. Yeah. Um, they had segments claiming that I was um, turning children transgender and murdering them with hormones um, which is also just not a thing. Like, obviously, no children and um, nobody's died from hormones. So, yeah. um, they I mean, were really going off the rails about it. Yeah, I was going to say, it reminds me a lot because I've seen things where people have identified where there are gender clinics and gender counseling <laughs> services, and, and there are right wing groups targeting those places. And it reminds me of the, you know, the, uh, the panic about abortion clinics in the 90s and absolutely let's not forget there were people shot because of that moral panic i think it was it dr gunn ironically um but that 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 kind of moral panic can really frighten me we've seen someone shot just recently in the u.s because of a pride flag and i think this kind of constant uh panicking and feeding into the media that this this because there are people out there that really do. It's like, you know, the QAnon kind of people. They're so scary because they're so easily to dupe. They're so easy to frighten. So when you also give them a medicalization narrative, when you give them that, oh, they're getting our kids and they can actually show where there's gender clinics, as if that, it, oh, my God, it, it it makes you really worry about it. This is why it's retreating. And we had the, I don't know if you're aware of the Tavistock Clinic in London that had yeah. closed. But it had its funding withdrawn bit by bit, and the people that ran it just couldn't run it anymore because, and their mistakes were made because there was just so few resources, and it, and instead of investing, instead of investing in the clinic and going in there and saying why you know let's let's um, help these people, they demonized it and it made it impossible for the people that ran that place to work in a like you need good morale and you need more in workplaces and the morale was so this is just stuff that i've read you know the, the morale was so low that people just didn't want to be there and the, and then the waiting list was going on for like eight years so this is that's yeah. the reality of trans healthcare. it's like there are people that think that when a child says i may be questioning my gender they go and see a doctor within two minutes they're going <laughs> to get some kind of invasive surgery but actually, I don't know what the I mean, I know it's different in the US because you've got a private healthcare system and everything is different. But in the NHS, at the moment, the current waiting time, I think, is something like between eight and 10 years. Jesus. And, and it's getting worse because. So what, yeah. So what is the process in the in the US? I mean, do, do you have this problem with waiting lists, even with, the, you know, the, the medical system over there? Um, yes and no. I 
say um, it really depends on where you are and what type of procedure you're going in for. I mean, for something like bottom surgery, yeah, people do wait years just for surgeon availability. Top surgeries, usually a few months, hormones um, might just be a few weeks. But also, if you're in a more rural area like I was, um, it, it took me a few months just to access hormones because I was underage. So I suppose there's a lot of disparity between different states because and obviously, obviously economic issues like for families that might be obviously poorer families. Yeah, it was this crazy graph, I think, that Bill Maher brought up and it showed why are all the trans people in? Well, it's because the people that are have those access to those things are in those kind of states it's not because for some of they're more liberal therefore they turn in a, they turn in everybody just not like it's not like there's something in the water it's because there's you know there's a real there's a real economic it, it's like when people show you a graph you're expected to look at it and go oh, yeah but they don't take into account all the variables so yeah. i think i think you re- you understand the thing i'm referring to there when i say bill Maher um but uh, yeah that's the kind of thing we're up against because you know it, it's it data is complicated and yeah when, I, I, when people are showing very simple graphs you can make them end into anything you want really can't you exactly i think it's been like as a researcher one of the most frustrating things for me i love data it's so fun to look through it can also be very easily manipulated and um, brought in from ridiculous sources it's also very profitable to produce that yeah um just a few weeks ago it was discovered that ron DeSantis paid um over three hundred twenty thousand dollars to seven different physicians to produce um false data and narratives about trans youth mm. that um, were then given as testament why to ban our health care yeah this is why i'm always i'm always very dubious about statistics and graphs even if they're coming from the trans community or i even if i suspect they are quite good i don't yeah. use them as references because for every graph, it depends on the time frame, the amount of people who was asked and what circumstances. And, you know, a graph is good, I think, as a, as a, as a guide, but it's not the answer to anything. And I think sometimes when I see people throwing graphs around, I think, oh, well, that, you know, that's not winning the argument. It's, it's, it's very Twitter because you can't really do that off of a platform yeah. that will let you image it. Yeah. And I think, and it's, and I think it's frustrating. It's like that, uh, there's a famous gif as a look at this graph <laughs> you know, as if it's the answer to something but yeah yeah I mean we could have a thousand studies come out tomorrow about like trans youth being less suicidal more um generally happier after transitioning and the right will find some like clunky study that doesn't actually say anything but they can claim what it says whatever they want it to I think this is yeah. true about lobbying as well because in this country we have all these stories about trans sports trans people in prisons and trans you know all this and so when they do poll the public it's probably after they've watched something like that on the telly or so that so the lobbying is is all about that it's about getting so 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 my job i see it as my job is to go into those spaces and so well you know what that's a load of rubbish and i'll tell you why it's a load of rubbish if you're willing to listen and that's all you can do you could never you, i don't have the power or the money or the resources to we, have, we all we've got is a podcast and 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 if we can get that positive message out you know what i mean that i mean yeah it is it is difficult to get the message out isn't it i mean you know we do try and do what we do 
And you That's know, I'm just looking at your that. your website, um, Eli. You've got kind of all, all kinds of stuff that you've been doing in there. You know, I'm just looking at some of the headings you've got there. You know, writing, speaking, media. There's there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, Thanks. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really it's really informative. Um, I was just I was just wondering. You know, we we've touched on quite a lot of topics today. Um, we're only kind of you know we're just kind of scraping the the surface of it, but. Um, you know, when it comes to things like activism and you know the, its effectivity, what what kind of what kind of things do you get involved with in in, a, in an activist kind of way? Do you, I mean do you do you do work in that area? I I mean all sorts of um, different organizations, movements, yeah. groups, protests. Um, I try to be involved with whatever. Yeah, you know. We've we've thought of some quite creative ideas, haven't we, Vicky, about protests and yeah. Uh, we, I'm, when I talk about activism, I'm, I think I'm talking about you know protesting that kind of side of things because yeah. you know in the UK at the moment the you know the government is trying to really clamp down on protests. Mm. I'm not really sure what's going on in the US in that respect. But well, it really depends on where you are. Right yeah. now in New York City, we have Eric Adams, who's a former um, police chief. And so he's completely on bed with um, the, I mean, really every NYPD officer. And it's become a bit harder, although some um, some aspects have become easier. Like they've, ba- they've banned um, acoustic weapons in the city for now. And there's um, certain limits on like drones and automated um, police robots, again, for now. So it, it really depends. I think that the culture especially due to gentrification um not just in new york but in all cities um has become a little more laissez-faire and liberal when it comes to direct action protests i mean we used to have people like throwing molotov cocktails into police stations and unfortunately we haven't seen that in um in a few years i mean when you go i mean when i think about protests and i think the 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 thing that I'm reminded of is it doesn't take a lot for a protest to become a riot and the one and the reason a protest becomes a riot is usually because of the police it's not because because you end up fighting the police instead of the cause you went there to fight and people don't want to fight they don't want the police to be there but the police agitate and the police will I've seen people dragged off the street um and 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 when that happens the police know that will agitate. And I think a lot of right wing people know that. So they'll go into spaces and do them. Like, I think you've seen it with Kelly J. Keene and they'll do these rallies and agitate the left. And then what happens is if one of those protesters on the counter protest, a trans person is in any way slightly violent, is any way loud, they'll say, oh, look, that's what they're like. They're, they're the evil trans activists. And I tell you what, you know, it took a it took a few hours to get to that point. It didn't just happen because somebody decided they wanted to do it. And if you push people enough, they will do violent acts. And well, while it's very diff- it's very difficult to condone, and I wouldn't ever condone anybody harming another person. I think in the media, it becomes a weapon, another weapon against us. I've seen it quite. Hard. We've seen it quite a lot, haven't we, Vicky? Recently, so, yeah. I mean, we did. We asked this question to all our guests around, you know, activism and its activity. Um, you know, there's all different types of a- activism you can do. Um, 
you know, and it, it all is, I think, I think we came to the conclusion that, you know, as long as we all do what we're comfortable with as individuals and what, you know, we know our own boundaries and limitations, I think, you know, if you're just doing a podcast, that's fine. If you're doing a lot more, you know, like yourself, I mean, that, that's, that's great. But, you know, there's so much pressure on trans people at the moment to do something, you know, I think I would say it's okay to do nothing too, if if that's where you're, you know, where you feel safe. I mean, do you have any thoughts around that? Because I think it's it's an important thing to, you know, discuss because I think a lot of trans people feel as though they're not doing enough and some get accused of doing the wrong thing. And there's a kind of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of confusion around what is, what kind of activism we should be doing, how it's, how effective it is, you know, that kind of, sort, those kind of thoughts. Do you have anything? I mean, I, I really think it's all subjective. It depends yeah. on where like individual is and as someone who's like i'm a white trans woman i'm more institutional power like i'm gonna go out and agitate a little more i'm probably not gonna get arrested um like i'm this small like white blonde woman i'm going to occasionally throw pies at turfs or dump glitter on some (laughs) boxes like it it happens um recognize there though that you have that agency which yeah, exactly. And that and that is like, what someone is like a trans, like a black trans woman or a trans youth. There might not be as much agency, and that's where like doing a podcast or um, possibly even doing nothing and having other people do things um, really comes into play. But overall, I see um, building mass movements that involve a diversity of strategies is what's really needed right now. I mean, do you think do you think we collaborate enough with each other? You know, the organizations that we're all part of. Do you think there's enough collaboration going on? No, definitely not. Um, I think right now it's crucial that we do more to um to link, especially queer and trans movements with economic justice movements in particular. Um, especially in the US, it's very fractured. I mean, as you all know, the left here is um left here is very um, atomized and not very interested in um, in economic issues in quite the same way that we were, say, 50 years ago, or um, much left is now in the UK or Europe. Um, I think a lot of the queer and trans organizations, when they're talking about economic justice, they're really talking about equal access to jobs, which is maybe a starting point. But we also need to like talk about mutual aid, stopping, um, like abolishing private property, <laughs> um, yeah. not having this um, really exploitative wage system where um, minimum wage is seven twenty-five an hour. If you're lucky, not disabled, not a work, and not a um, a uh, server at a restaurant. It's insane that. You know, but what I was just thinking then is like uh, sometimes when I'm riled up and I want to organize something, I I feel like I don't want to feel like I'm the person organizing. I want it to be a community thing. And that's why Mm -hmm. I get involved with the LGBT Foundation. But sometimes everybody's a bit fractured. We've all got a life to live. Mm -hmm. Being trans isn't really an identity. It's just something we get called. And it's like, like, this is not an identity. It's just a delineation. But so for a lot of trans women, I know protesting is the last thing on their mind because they've got what they want. They're just living their life. Mm. So, so, so they don't see 
sometimes my frustration is, can you not see this? I'm like, can you not see what's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like that. And sometimes I'll be typing away on my computer and I'm going, what am I doing? You know, why am I wasting my time? So, cause, cause I can't, I can't waste my energy like that. I've got to think of like the, the, the what I've learned really is that online vexation is a waste of my energy. I just do it for a laugh. But but the re- the real work is like when I'm doing my articles and when I'm doing my blog, because mm. that's something that will always exist. And it's like the reason I do it, even even if it doesn't get much traction, it's it it still exists in the time. So I think writing, like you you're you're a writer, so that that's what I think that's so important because it's part of the public record. It's an archive of the time. So if somebody wants to say, oh, what the hell was going on in 2023, you know. It's always going to be there, whereas Twitter probably might still have a few vestiges of, but, <laughs> you know, it's the it's the written word, it's the word. Even even this podcast might, you know, something might happen to that. But yeah, I think the written word is so important because that yeah. is that is it's definitely part of it too. I mean, I I entered academia thinking like this is this is one thing that needs to be done while also on the groundwork is um something else that needs to be done at the well, same that's time. Like, yeah, that's why what you do is so important because like when they dig up our culture in like a few thousand years, they're not going to be looking at what was said on Twitter. <laughs> they're not. I but, certainly hope not. <laughs> Let's hope not. That's really be, hope not. They're gonna look. They're gonna look at. Gosh, these people. You know, they were fighting over trans people in sports <laughs> yeah. but then there might be another culture that has the same problem for another reason like oh what about this fifth gender <laughs> with, with <laughs> you can't be fifth gendered don't be silly no, you know, this is just getting honestly- back to that kind of intersectionality thing where we need to collaborate more i mean that's that's one of my kind of hopes that we can you know even across the across the atlantic between the uk and the u.s I think we need to do a lot more. You know, there's some big organizations over there and here. I'm not sure how much they collaborate, but I think, you know, we all need to try and find ways to do more together and, you know, fight the, yeah. fight the same battles, you know, prioritize what we're fighting because yeah. we, are, we are very fractured. Um, have you read um, Dean Spade's book, Mutual Aid? No. Not yet, no. Well, I've got it oh, read- on the reading list. Yeah. Oh, perfect. It's um, it, it covers all of this. It's um, like an organizer Bible. Great. That's great. Thank you for that. Oh, good tip. Thank you. I'm always, uh, when we have a guest, because we had a couple of guests that have recommended books to me and I've got like, I've got such a bag. Yeah, I've got a big pile like this now. <laughs> I try to get things online if I can or on me, on my phone, because I uh, can't really afford to keep buying all these books. But oh, yeah. uh, Transreads.org has um, all the yeah. translators that you're looking for. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll definitely be looking. Yeah. Um. So, you know, to what we normally do is like when we, we talk, obviously we talked about activism and I, I consider you to be like a, a strong activist. But it's like an, another thing I wanted to touch on is sometimes like, especially on Twitter, I think, um, you, you know, there, there are, I follow some amazing people on Twitter who write these amazing threads of stuff. And what 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 is quite difficult then is to break through that noise because you know when you get a Twitter thread and there's all the people that try and argue with you, you've you've probably spent hours figuring something out and then put it on Twitter and then it gets taken apart. Is that frustrating or is that part of the deal for you? It's it's. I mean, it depends on what end I'm on. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
I, I would say I find Twitter very frustrating and I try not to engage too deeply in critiques that I don't find um, reflect my own politics. Like if I think a critique is just completely out there, the person is dead wrong and they belong to a community that I care about, then yeah. I'm just not going to respond. And then if someone else is just trolling, yeah, like I don't really care. Half these people are bots anyway. Why would I waste my time yeah, on them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll sometimes respond if it's just like something so egregious that it um, might make conservatives or um, fascists look bad. I, I think that's a um, also a useful approach. But mostly I like to share history on Twitter so we can reach more people. I like to um, share funny quips we can make about cis people. And okay. um, uh, just on social media in general, find ways to have the um, find the most use out of it that can really inform, agitate and educate. Yeah, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Because obviously online, there's, there, there is all that kind of just people that want to troll. So... <laughs> Yeah, and it's about and 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 that is the issue because any genuine person with just a few hundred followers maybe that's looking they'll get turned off by it and I I've seen that happen on Twitter a lot of my friends have left Twitter because they just I just I just can't deal with it anymore and I think that's really sad that people are being bullied away from from online spaces because if 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 it's so easy to do I mean obviously. Twitter itself is, seems to be in some kind of... It's not even called Twitter anymore, is it? When, are we, do we still call it Twitter? It's called but, X. Um, I'm getting the hell out of it. I think um, I, Elon Musk is trying to run it into the ground for some reason. But uh, yeah, what, whatever yeah. goes on in his mind, we'll probably never know. There was an interesting article on um, why he why the Saudis invested in it and the idea that um, they were kind of fearful of um of another arab spring happening um right. which in part started on twitter and so they invested in knowing that elon musk was going to run it into the ground wow that's really yeah, he's doing a good job of that yeah yeah i mean when you because when i first started getting into politics i think it was about the time of um the occupy movement mm. which was a very new york thing I th- wait, I thought it was a New York thing, but actually it happened in different places in the world. And uh, and and when I look back now, because at the time I thought, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the uprising, you know, but it kind of petered out. And I was like, where's the energy gone? You know what I mean? And it's like, when you look back now at those videos of New York City in, gosh, was it 2008, eight, nine? And yeah. it was so different that they... The, it feels like a different city, doesn't it? It's absolutely a different city. It was a bit less militarized then. And I, I I find the Occupy movement to be so interesting just because of how many activists were vehemently against it for one reason or another. There weren't enough people of color. There were um, there were just privileged college students engaging in it. Mm. Um, it was um, artificial in some way, um, which like, some of those are absolutely valid critiques, but dismissing it as a whole is unfortunately a little narrow. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss it, but it's like when you look back now. I think, um, see, my when I when I used to think about New York, it was always that you know that Andy Warhol kind of. I still have that idea in my mind. So I think about visiting New York and I think, oh my God, not nothing I've written about, uh, nothing I've read about actually still exists. <laughs> So, 
Yeah. Pretty much. Did you do you enjoy living in New York? I I do love it here. I have found a strong community. And unfortunately, I mean, again, going back to economics and transness, um, so many of my friends are incredibly economically precarious right now while rents are rising and gentrification so prevalent and it really demotivates them from engaging and organizing we have to work seven days a week they have to um pay three four thousand dollars a month in rent it's really incredible and and i bet that's for quite a small place as well quite a modest yeah we have the same problem in london at the moment because people are looking at the rental prices of apartments there and they've gone from like what used to be say a thousand pounds a month is now near three thousand. Oh my god yes in the same places even in even where i near where i live now in manchester we've got the same problem of gentrification well, i mean gentrification not necessarily a problem in itself but it kind of like pushes it's it, it divides the rich and poor much more starkly so i can't imagine I mean, I'm living on the street in New York now. It must be so like, you know, you. There's <laughs> nothing like it. You know, when you see those images of 70s New York after the, because actually New York, New York went bankrupt, didn't it, in the 70s? So and then in steps Trump. <laughs> that's where <laughs> I think that's where it's tried to go wrong. And that's a bit tangential, isn't it, to uh, a protest uh, subject? But yeah. yeah. Do you, I mean, do you, do you have any big projects that you're working on at the moment? I know you, you earlier you mentioned some books that are coming out. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of promote and or, you know, tell us about? Well, next year I'll have my first book out. It's right. called The Thunder, and it's going to follow 30 people um, from 1850 to 1950 um, who we now may know as trans and what we can learn from their stories. Right. And Amazing. It really shows how much history has been lost, forgotten, or actively destroyed. Yeah. yeah so where it. where would those be available for, you know, once it's out, how would people buy that? Um, it will be through Beacon Press, so you can just find it at your local bookstore. Yeah. it's cool. a, It sounds amazing, yeah. I've, I, that just reminded me of something that I saw on Netflix last week called El Dorado about the uh uh you know the Weimar Germany and the rise of the Nazis basically and that that was a trans panic basically that's how it started in that that part of the the uh city where there was always a kind of what we would call now a queer culture I don't know if that would would have been the word then but you know gender incongruence uh, people being expressing themselves as drag queens and very much like the New York scene would have been in the late 60s, early 70s, I think. Yeah, I mean, right now, um, I like to make a joke with my friends um, that we all nervously laugh about that we are in a very Weimar era Hmm. right now. I mean, you can see the parallels. I mean, sometimes because my blog is called the Turf Reich, and people used to call me out. And, oh, it's reductive. You know, it's not. It's uh, is it supposed to be funny? Neo Nazis. I don't think that's reductive no. at all. But that, but but because uh, I have a, when other journalists, I have spoke to like journalists that are a bit more successful than me, and said, well, if you call it that, it kind of puts you in a position of people might not read it because you know people are very nervous about that kind of. But I said, you know what? I started it like a sort of. It was supposed to be funny, like a sort of comic book kind of language in it. 
and uh, that's how I visualized it. But as it's gone on, it's become more and more apparent to me that, yeah, these people are far right. These people are, they would have been on board with exactly the same tropes that people, that, that allowed people to allow Nazism to rise. There's some of it literally, it's it's not just on board with some of these are the exact same tropes, too. That's why I keep my eye on it. One of the ways that um, uh, original Nazis gained power in the early 1930s was um, with this term um, seduce, uh, seducer of youth. Yeah. Um, I forget what the exact German word is. And um, I mean, it's, it's literally groomer. It's the same word. And um, they talked about how they were going to defeat the scary homosexuals and mm. um how they would give glory to germany through these very cis heteronormative relationships that they promoted and hey we're seeing that. yeah i mean I, um i have i have seen this parallel and especially in the uk as well because it's um i mean with with anything like this I think you know you know that there's this kind of thing. Oh, so everybody you hate is a Nazi. Did you get that? Because like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, uh, but 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 I was on a TV show in the UK, and I said to the presenter, I said, I know some of the people you had had on this show are associated with the far right, and she said, Oh, everybody's a Nazi now, are they? I said, Well, you put that word in your own mouth. I didn't say Nazi. <laughs> you did. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I um, once posted a photo of this um, far-right teacher I was on Dr. Phil with um, and um, said he was working with a neo-Nazi group and someone gave that same response to me, oh, everyone you don't like is a Nazi. He was holding a literal swastika. Like this man <laughs> swastika up in uh -huh. a, a uh, student board meeting. Like, I don't know what you need to see, but this is, this is Nazism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when when I've been on those TV, I, I use this uh, room and I put strategic books on my bookshelf, and mm. I put uh, Umberto Eco's Outer Spot a Fascist <laughs> right there. So when I was on, that was in the background. Right. So yeah, so I mean, it's been amazing. I think we've covered a lot of stuff there. We have. I just want to say thank you again for giving us your time because I know we're we're quite a small podcast. I think we've got I don't know many views we got last time. They got about eight hundred views. Um, it's doing well and we, we're getting better and having guests like you is so good because it because people will come to the podcast because obviously they know who you are and uh, people are very you know into what you're doing so thank you for coming and doing it well thank you yeah. I'm happy to for it no, and if you were to if you were to give a, a message to the trans non-binary community you know in the US and the UK what would you what would you say to them don't give up and it's not just going to get better we're going to make it better yeah thank you yeah it may it may not happen quickly but we will definitely yeah. get there this this will time will pass won't it i think i think somebody said to me recently you don't have to be loud but you have to be persistent <laughs> never give up. Be loud as well but never yeah. give up yeah so, so are you going to do the song frida um, yeah, so we do the little song at the end. You don't have to do it. But I um, so so I'll do. I'll Although do. Although we do I'll encourage do you to do something. So it's like, don't forget to subscribe. That's it. Don't forget to subscribe. So after three, <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> you look a bit scared there, Eli. 
Uh, are you ready? <laughs> One, two, three. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe. subscribe. I couldn't hear you at all there anyway. Did you not do it? Oh, never mind. <laughs> I you you don't have to. It's it. not. It's not compulsory. <laughs> it was good anyway. We did it all right. But yeah, I mean, thank you for coming on and talking to us. It's been really interesting and great to meet you. Have you on? <laughs> you do. I'll keep following you on Twitter. See how long Twitter lasts in its current state. And hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll send you my review of Matt Walsh's uh, film. See what you think. <laughs> Yeah, you know, on that on that intersectionality topic, let's try and do some more, you know, collaboration whenever yeah. we can. I think that's really important. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks a lot for coming on. It's been great. Thank um, you. I'll sign us off there. So bye for now. Bye for now.